Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Andy Garcia, Director of Creating Change at the National LGBTQ Task Force. He will talk about the upcoming Creating Change conference and the issues that will be spotlighted. Thank you for following the Jesse Garcia Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Listen up, high school graduates. A study by the Department of Education projects that 650,000 Latinx students will graduate from public high schools in 2019. Those with amazing extracurricular activities on their resumes, with community service backgrounds, and with GPAs 3.0 and above are invited to apply to the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. Scholarships are based on merit, and amounts range from $500 to $5,000 based on relative need. Eligible students include scholars who are U.S. citizens, permanent legal residents, DACA, or eligible non-citizens as defined by the FAFSA. Deadline to apply is February 5th. For more information, visit www.hsf.net forward slash scholarship. That's www.hsf.net forward slash scholarship. Good luck. And here's your weekly news update. Elections have consequences. After last November's blue wave, the LGBTQ community has seen advances in civil rights this month. Newly elected Wisconsin and Michigan governors issued non-discrimination orders for LGBTQ state workers this past week. Both Democrats included sexual orientation and gender identity in their protections. Next up, the Kansas governor who will reinstate protections for LGBTQ state workers. The Democrats' inauguration takes place January 14th. Sadly, Florida, a state with a huge queer population, saw their incoming Republican governor issue a non-discrimination executive order for state employees that deliberately excludes LGBTQ people. Protecting LGBTQ workers is not a new concept. Prior to these three governors issuing protections, 20 states, including the District of Columbia, Guam, and Puerto Rico, have enacted statutes that protect against both sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination in the employment in the public and private sector for the past 20 years. Currently, federal LGBTQ government civil servants enjoy these protections since President Bill Clinton issued an executive order in 1995. And in 2014, President Barack Obama extended those protections to include gender identity. Different versions of a proposed federal bill called the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, or ENDA, have been proposed since 1994 in the United States Congress. That bill would prohibit discrimination in hiring and employment on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity by employers of all types with at least 15 employees. After two decades of trying to pass ENDA, a broader bill called the Equality Act was introduced in its place in 2015 and will be brought up again this year. So let's review. 
23 states, the District of Columbia, and two territories are on the right side of history in protections for LGBTQ workers. While we wait for the federal government to make it illegal to fire someone for being queer, the LGBTQ community needs to keep churning out more progressive wins at the state level. In 2019, the off-year election schedule includes elections for governor in Kentucky, Louisiana, and Mississippi. State legislative elections will also be held this cycle in Louisiana, Mississippi, Virginia, and in the New Jersey General Assembly. Start signing up for an election campaign, or better yet, run for office. Creating Change, the largest LGBTQ advocacy and activism conference, will touch down in Detroit, Michigan on January 23rd to the 27th. More than 3,500 people are expected to attend. For three decades, Creating Change has been working to bring together communities across the country to honor our past, commit to our present, and build for our future. This year, a new face will be leading the charge. Andy Garcia was just named Director of Creating Change at the National LGBTQ Task Force in May of 2018. Andy is a seasoned activist with over 25 years of experience of working for social justice and LGBTQ movements. He brings to the task force a wealth of skills and knowledge in a range of areas including LGBTQ conference and event planning, diversity and inclusion training, HIV testing, prevention, and decriminalization, and LGBTQ youth service provision. We'll talk about the conference, the intersectionality of issues that will be addressed, what it takes to host this conference in your city, and the site selection for the 2020 conference. Hint, it's one of my favorite cities. I want to welcome to the show Andy Garcia uh, from Creating Change who's been in this position of director since May? Yes, since May. And um, it's coming up, the next Creating Change Conference in Detroit, Michigan, correct? That is correct. Welcome to the show. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. So what can the community expect at this year's convention coming up? So for this year's conference, people can expect what they've always gotten from Creating Change, which is a magical, wonderful space. Um, we've got over 250 workshop sessions. Wow. Yep, yep. Um, we've got we, we got a lot more submissions than that. So yeah. um, a lot of great content in terms of workshops. We have four different plenary sessions, two dances, a house ball, some film screenings. Amazing. Um, it's, it's, it's really a, a wonderful program. We're really proud of it here. So who are the this year's speakers? Have you, can you share that information? I can share that. The program is actually available online at creatingchange.org. If you're okay. curious, you can flip through that and see all of the exciting programming. Um, this year, the opening plenary on Thursday night, we're doing something to really celebrate the city of Detroit. We really want to recognize that Detroit is a special city. It has a long history of activism. It has a wonderful history of music. It's Definitely. just a place we really want to celebrate. And it's a place that I feel most people don't, 
aren't familiar with or don't really understand. So we really want people to to understand why we're in Detroit and what's special about it. So the opening plenary, we're featuring, featuring a panel of people from Detroit and from southeastern Michigan. Um, the um, moderator is Michelle Brown, who is herself a radio host who's pretty well known. Um, and then we have a panel of, of three people. Uh, one of them is Abdul El Said, who is uh, the youngest person to ever serve as a city health commissioner. He's, he's completely dedicated to HIV and AIDS. Um, he also ran for governor this year of Michigan, um, unsuccessfully, but, but really ran a great campaign. Um, Cynthia Thornton, who is a UAW member and um, the president of Pride of Work of Michigan. Obviously, Detroit is a, is a labor town. Labor. <laughs> so it was really important to get her perspective. Um, she both founded a black caucus within uh, Michigan and an LGBT caucus within the, the black caucus. So she's Amazing. completely intersectional. We're really thrilled to have her. Um, and Cecilia Lapointe, who is a Native American woman who is an activist who brings a lot in terms of justice, racial justice, um, water justice, which is so important in Michigan, as you can imagine because here, of Flint, of, yes. because of Flint, et cetera. So even the Detroit public schools, for example, have, have water issues. So it's not just Flint. We're really trying to, to kind of elevate the issues that Detroit faces, but not to dwell on what's problematic, but to dwell on the fact that, to really celebrate the fact that there are some activists who are really amazing, doing great work that can inform activism around the country. The issues that Detroit are facing are not unique to it, um, but they are really, they exemplify some of the, the issues that, that other cities are dealing with. I love that you're focusing on issues, not necessarily LGBTQ, but around, you know, it affects yep. the LGBTQ community, but there's other things that we need to be on top of. Racism, yep. you know, the environment, uh, criminal justice. I mean, you are bringing these intersectional uh, folks to come share their experiences. What do you hope for first-time attendees to walk away with when they come to this conference? Well, what I really am looking forward to is what happens when they walk into the conference, um, mm -hmm. as well as when the, what they walk away with. But, but that feeling that so many of us have had walking into creating change for the first time, for me, that was in Detroit in 1995, and I had never been in a space that felt like that before, where I f was around so many people and felt so safe and loved and supported, challenged by new ideas, new ways of thinking. This is really about developing the activism that's needed for, as you said, not just LGBTQ justice, but racial justice, economic justice, immigrant justice, reproductive justice. We really want to expand people's um, knowledge and skills. So the, the theme of creating change um, is is learn, connect, resist, and persist. So so really this is about people coming to learn strategies to connect with each other because we know that activism and our movement is built on relationships. And then really in the interest of, of what the work we have to do, which we feel is, is resisting. It's resisting this administration, um, our opposition, the hate groups in this country, and really working towards full um, equality, freedom, and justice for, for all people, but with a, with a real LGBTQ lens. So I've been to three of them, mm -hmm. and I love that I see a lot of young faces, yeah. but old people still come. Yes. People my age, <laughs> yep. 40 plus, and their space is respected, their wisdom is respected, and... I like the fact that people give each other enough time to talk at these sessions. Yeah. 
One special thing about 2019 is that we're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. Are there going to be any commemorations or talks about that? Absolutely. So, um, you know, woven throughout, well, the, the, the theme of persist. So, so last year was Learn, Connect, Resist. We added persist this year to really recognize that we have persisted and that these times are really difficult for us. We, there, there's no question that, that people of color, that immigrants, that queer people really feel under attack. And, you know, our, our trauma, our collective trauma has really been, been you know, triggered by, by everything that's happening with this administration. And yet... Since day one. Since day one. I mean, we've been, some more than others, transgender community. It's almost like every single month there was something new coming at this community and then going after youth, yep. rescinding all these protections at the school level. It's just crazy. It's been, it's been really difficult. And I think what, what we really want to highlight, and this is, this is a word that gets, that gets used a lot, but, but I think it's really relevant, is, is our resiliency. How have we persisted? Before Stonewall, we know that there were LGBTQ folks organizing. Stonewall didn't just come out of nowhere, um, but it, it is it, it was a seminal moment. I mean, that it was 50 years ago is is really both feels like a long time ago. I remember Stonewall 25. I remember marching in Stonewall 25 in New York. I can't believe yeah. that you know tw another 25 years has passed since that happened. Um, but 50 years is really a blink in the eye, is a blink of the eye in, in terms of the, the long haul. And we've seen a lot of ups and downs. And I just want, want folks to know we've been through a lot and we'll get through this too. It's not to take away or diminish the, the, the pain and the trauma that people are really experiencing. And we need a message of hope. One of the folks that we have speaking at our Sunday brunch, he's the recipient of our Leather Leadership Award. His name is Peter Fisk. He's one of the, the um, Stonewall veterans. So he wow. admits that he, he moved to San Francisco the day before the actual riot, but he had been at the Stonewall bar for, for a while before that and had been there during three police raids and was one of the folks who you know, knew what was going on and, and started saying, this is not acceptable. Why are we tolerating this? So it's going to be great to hear from him, for example, um, the whole year is going to be about Stonewall 50. We, we you know, are going to be really the kickoff of, of that year. Of course. Yeah. Can you tell us the dates again of the convention? So it's January 23rd through the 27th. Okay. Um, the conference itself, the opening plenary, is on Thursday night, which is the 24th. And the closing brunch at which Peter Fisk will be speaking is the, is the 27th. However, we have our day-long Racial Justice Institute on Wednesday the 23rd. That attracts about 1,000 people. And then on Thursday, prior to the opening plenary, we have another 18 day long institutes that are all, uh, you can look at those all online at creatingchange.org to see what those are. How has Creating Change, the National LGBTQ Task Force, made this an inclusive conference in the planning and decision making? That's a great question. I really appreciate it. I've been working on conferences, specifically LGBTQ conferences since 1995. Um, ranging from the National Lesbian and Gay Health Conference in the mid-90s to the original National Youth Advocacy Coalition summits um, to the Equality Federation Conference, um, which is all the statewide organizations convening. And this conference 
is the most inclusive conference I've ever experienced. We work really hard to make sure that it's completely accessible, um, whether that's ASL interpreters available, um, Spanish language translators, um, accessibility in terms of um, scooters for folks with mobility issues. Um, it really is a, a, a wonderful space in terms of um, being accessible to people. One of the one of the things that we learn year after year after year is the more we do, the more we learn we need to do. Yes. So it's about um, it's about progress for us. It's about every year doing it better than the year before. One of the commitments that we have this year is to language justice. So Spanish language um, justice is something that's really important to me personally, and it's really important to us as an organization. Um, we are working to get everything translated into Spanish, so. And you um, have a track of, of sessions. We do. Uh, my friend David Bettis, who works with um, Fuerza Unida, I think yeah. that's the track that's called, um, is very active yep. in recruiting speakers and making sure that individuals in the Latino community know about this yep. conference. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really um, one of the things that, um, you know, I was, I was saying with language justice is we've been working with some folks, in, including Roberto uh, Tijerina, around translating um, our website and the registration materials. It's It's been, you know, taking us a little bit of time to get that online, but by next year, everything will be fully available in Spanish online so that we have folks registering, looking at a website in Spanish, which links them to a Spanish language registration form. Um, we were hoping to have that done this year. It could We could make it happen this week if possible, but, you know, we know that a lot of things take time. So we're on, we're in it for the long haul. Yes. We're not going to get everything right right away, but we're making those important steps. We're making the effort. Yep. Uh, if a community wanted to host Creating Change, what's the process like? Who do they have to call? Because we kind of want to start going into places we've never been before. And where are you all going to be next year? We are going, so I'll spill the beans because okay. it's actually <laughs> in the program, but we're going to be in Dallas, Texas in... I love Dallas. 2020. For 12 years. I'm excited that it's going back to Dallas. Go ahead. So, I mean, that I think speaks to, um, you know, your question is like what we, we really just want to be in cities where people want us to be. So, you know, definitely for folks to let us know that they want to host the conference. Um, we have some re we have some constraints just like logistically. We need a hotel that can accommodate the conference. So that's about We're talking 3000 people. Plus. We're talking about 3000 plus people. We're talking about um needing 30 concurrent meeting rooms for the workshops so that we can accept, you know, enough workshops um, for the program, um, you know, the number of guest rooms as well. So it's it's got to be a big hotel. We've always had the conference in a single hotel. It's really important that the hotel be a space where we can create like our own world for the week, um, where folks feel like, you know, this is, this is the place that they want to be. This is exactly where they should be. They're not shuttling back and forth between hotels and a convention center, for example. They can um, dress the way they want to. Exactly. And, you know, we're in, we're in Detroit this year. It's going to be cold. So, <laughs> you know, we're hoping folks, you know, yeah. bring a warm coat, but also yeah. that they prepare to spend a lot of time in the hotel because we really, we have events from, you know, basically 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight every day. Yes. And then folks make their own fun, you know, outside of that time. So we really want a hotel that can accommodate us. So that limits our options to, you know, some of the larger cities. Um, but really what's most important for us is that we have people on the ground who are willing to to really work with us to make the conference happen. We couldn't do it without our host committee. So 
in Detroit, our host committee has 100 people. Wow. Over 100 people, um, led by four co-chairs. Um, and then we have 500 volunteers, most of them being local as well. So that's a huge, you know, that's a huge lift for a city. Yeah. Again, we cannot make the conference happen without those folks in the host city. So that's really the key thing is can, can folks on the ground organize enough people to make it happen? Um, and they do every year. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, where can people get, uh, go to get more information? Aside from, uh, there's the creatingchange.org, mm -hmm. correct? That's correct. And um, is there a Twitter social media handle? Where you get so it's the it's the task force. So it's the National LGBTQ Task Force on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate you coming on to the show, and I wish you the best of luck this year. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.